Okay, guys, we're in Colossians, so if you want to turn there, we're going to be starting a new series on uh, Colossians and Philemon. We're going to be going into Colossians now, and we're going to again start with the first eight verses. And so let's let's kind of, we're going to look here, this is the letter to the Colossians. You're going to find it's very interesting that Paul's writing a church that really every indication is he never visited them. He never went to this church. Uh, so he didn't start this church, uh, but he obviously had some sort of influence with the church. And so we're going to look here as we go through this at some, some interesting things that he's going to reveal to us. We're going to primarily look at the introduction to it today, which is verses 1 to 8. So let's, we're going to look, first of all, at his greetings, which is a traditional greeting in verses 1 to 3, and just kind of look at that each part there. Look what he says there in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. All right, so let's look at a couple things here. We're going to break this down. All right, so the writer of the letter is Paul, so it's the Apostle Paul. As you know, he's written half of the New Testament influenced the writers of possibly two other letters, of course, Hebrews, and then, of course, uh, Acts and uh, Luke. So the writer is Paul. Okay, he identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. All right, so he's identifying himself here as an apostle. Now, the significant thing I want you to see about his, his identification as an apostle, he states that he was appointed by God. And if you look at the book of Acts and you look at how he was chosen, how he came to salvation, you know for a fact that it was not something that he was looking for. It was not something that he was pursuing. In fact, he was, if anything, he was pursuing the exact opposite, the eradication of Christianity. Okay? And so God kind of got a hold of him on the Damascus Road. And from there, he was launched into ministry. So... His apostleship was appointed by God. And, and I think that's very significant. What you're going to see in his letters is, is he's always wanting to establish his credential as an apostle, especially to the Gentiles, because he had Jewish believers at the time who were not accepting him or denying him or, or downplaying his apostleship because he wasn't a part of the Twelve. And so he's making a point here. He's an apostle by what? The election of God, by the appointment of God. Okay? So he goes on. He also greets them on behalf of Timothy. And so we know also that Timothy is kind of like his spiritual son, one of his companions. And he is very much with Paul. He's writing to this church in Colossae. Now, Paul addresses this letter to the believers in Colossae. Okay? He addresses this letter to the believers in Colossae. So let me tell you a little bit about Colossae. You may not are not aware of that. So if you have your Bibles, look in the back at a Bible map, and especially look at what looks what is now modern day Turkey. Okay, if you look into your back of your Bibles, you know you got those Bible maps. Let's use them. Okay, and if you go to maybe one of the maps with Paul's missionary journeys. You will, you know, they're probably very small, but I want you to um, look 
and kind of have an idea here. It was located in the Lycus Valley, about 100 miles east of Ephesus. So if you find Ephesus, you go about 100 miles there, and you're going to, uh, in Asia Minor, you're going to see where Colossae is. Now, its name was probably derived from Colossus, which was a large statue. It may have also been named that because of some unusual rock formations in the area. Uh, it's about 12 miles from Laodicea. So in this letter, you're also going to see that he's going to be talking to the Laodiceans, the church at Laodicea. Now, the reason why he does that is because these letters were circulated. So he just did, these weren't just a personal letter that he was writing. These were letters of instruction to the Christians in that area. So uh, it was rich in mineral deposits and subject to frequent earthquakes. It had rich pasture lands nearby. And, of course, I just want to make mention to you, several references in this letter kind of indicate that Paul never was there. He didn't start this church, okay? So he's addressing this letter to the believers in Colossae. Now, here's the interesting thing. This is I find this is fascinating with Paul because he always starts out his letters this way. He, he refers to them as saints and fellow brethren. Now, you're going to find that in every one of his letters, especially letters that he writes to troubled churches like, like the Corinthians, who had some major problems. And he addresses them as, what? Saints, or separated ones, or holy ones. Okay? And I think that's significant because so oftentimes... You and I can view ourselves in our Christian lives and really have really a defeatist attitude about our standing with God, our acceptance with God, based upon the fact of our what? Our sin, right? We're haunted by the sins that beset us. And so oftentimes we think God sees us in that way. So here's Paul. He's writing a letter to a church. They obviously have some issues. He's going to address them in this letter. And... He's referring to them as saints. You think about the Corinthian church. He refers to them as saints. What's really, what, what is he doing there? Is he saying that they're perfect? No. What he's talking about is their standing before God, which you and I need to grasp. Because you have to understand, our standing, our acceptance with God has nothing to do with us. It has to do with what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you come to salvation, you have nothing to give him. You come to him in all of your sinfulness and you accept that gift of salvation into your life and it's because of what Jesus did for you that he accepts you. And that continues on even afterward in your process of sanctification. When You are accepted with God, not based upon you, but based upon what? What Christ has done for you. And you're going to see that throughout Paul's epistles because he's dealing with Judaizers who were saying, well, you know, the way to be accepted with God is that you got to keep the Old Testament laws. You got to keep the new moons, the festivals. You got to eat certain way. You got to be circumcised. He's making the emphasis here. No, you guys are saints. Saints in Christ. So he's going to make that emphasis here. He also calls them fellow brethren. So he's not just an apostle. He sees himself as an equal with them. Do you understand? Because they're brothers in Christ. Okay? Brothers in Christ. So then in verse 2, we also see he gives a traditional blessing here. You'll see this in every one of his letters. He bestows a traditional blessing of grace and peace from the Father and from Jesus. 
Okay, so you'll notice all of his letters have a traditional blessing. All right, you'll see that in some of the other letters as well from Peter as well. Okay, then we get to verses three through eight, and we see Paul's prayer of thanksgiving. So let me let me just help you understand in the with these letters, with these epistles, you're going to see a common pattern here. You'll see an introduction. Hi, it's me, Paul, to you, whoever he's writing to. And then the next thing he does, which is common in their literature, is, is he's, going to, he's going to be thankful for something. He's going to praise them for something. Okay? And so he's going to express, express a prayer of thanksgiving here for them. All right? So let's look at that. We're going to look at verses 3 through 8. Look at what he says here. We give thanks to God. And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your, and your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also, has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God and truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So let's look at his prayer of thanksgiving here. First of all, he's going to offer a prayer. He's going to offer thanks to God and Jesus Christ for the Colossian believers. All right, now back up for a moment. Remember I told you the possibility here is that he never went to this town. He didn't start this church. It's possible that when he was in Ephesus, there were only 12 miles outside of Ephesus, okay? Or excuse me, 100 miles. He maybe met some folks from this area. But as far as the whole church, he had no contact. And what he's expressing here is, is he's thankful for them. This is an attitude, an attitude of thankfulness. This is an attitude of otherness. This is an attitude of not being self-focused. And, and, and I'll be honest with you folks, sometimes we get that way. We get self-absorbed. We only think about ourselves or we only think about our church. He's got a bigger perspective. Okay, something for us to think about. Paul's got a bigger perspective. He's going to be thankful for... These people. He's going to thank God and Jesus for these people, for this church. Okay? So that's, that's a testimony to you and I. Alright? Now, he also stated that he prayed always for them. Always praying for them. Now, what does that mean? Always praying. Did he spend all of his time in prayer? No. Because you know he didn't do that. We know from the testimony that he worked. He was a tent maker. So what does it mean that he's always praying for them? What it means is is that he had a consistent prayer life where he would lift up these folks to the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when he talks about, in other epistles, about praying without ceasing, he's not talking about praying all day long like some kind of monk. He's talking about having an attitude of prayer where he's constantly lifting up people. Quite an example for us. Let's go on here. He's going to talk about their testimony. Why was he thankful? Because he was thankful for their lives in a couple of areas. Number one, he stated that they had, he had heard the testimony of their faith. So he's heard, one of the things was, is that what they believed was reflected in how they lived. Do you understand what I'm saying? What they believed 
was reflected in how they lived. So, I mean, if, if, you know, talk is cheap. You can say you love Jesus, but if you don't live like you love Jesus, that, that means nothing. He's thankful for their testimony of faith because their life was expressing what they believed. Here's the other thing that he was thankful for. He stated that he also heard their love for other believers. So again, getting back to what I said earlier, when he was thankful for them, he's talking about these believers because he had heard that they were genuinely loving people, that they were not focused on themselves. You know what, here's the thing, we learned this, I think it's been six years ago. We had a, a, a kind of, you know, we're going to celebrate 75 years here. Six years ago, we kind of had a turning point in our church here. And up until about six years ago, I'll just be honest with you, our focus was inward. The holy huddle. And I'll be honest, we were dying. Dying, literally, spiritually emotionally as a church. We were dying because our focus was inward. Here's what happened six years ago. We started a program. We don't longer have it anymore because it was we became difficult to run, and that was the chill zone. And we ran the chill zone, and we had 70 kids from the streets of Kerwinsville come here on Wednesday nights. We fed them a meal. They just kind of hung out here, played games. We had ping pong and all that, and we, we shared a Bible lesson with them. We took them on activities, and all of a sudden, because we began to cease to be focused inwardly, we had life again. Because we began to think outward, because we began to think of reaching people, we had life again as a church. Do you guys remember that? I mean, some of you were here before the six years, and you know, we were, we were, we were turned inward. And because we began to think in terms of reaching out, it brought new life to the church. See, folks, this is an example of what I'm talking about. He's thankful for them because their focus is outward, not just themselves, because you can come in here and you can expect, oh, minister to me, minister to me. I'm going to be honest with you, that's your focus you're never going to get ministered to. Your focus needs to be come in here, who can I help today? Who can I be an encouragement to? Who can I reach out to? Did you understand? Who can I express love to? Here he's thankful that they're expressing love to saints, to believers, but we're going to see later he's going to have that same attitude of expressing love outward beyond that. See, as long as you're focused inward, as long as you're self-absorbed, here's the principle. As long as you're self-absorbed, you are bringing spiritual death to your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not just to a church, but to your own life. But if you get out of just focusing on you and think about focusing outward to others, whether it's somebody here in the church or somebody outside of the church, you're going to have life. And so he's thankful for them, for the life that they have, because their love for each other. We saw this in Hebrews, didn't we? When we went through Hebrews. There is an emphasis throughout the New Testament about love. In fact, isn't that what Jesus said? By this shall they know that you are my disciples, by your what? By your fighting? By your love for one another. Okay? All right, let's go on. The source of their faith and love was their hope. Now, how could they have this faith that they expressed in their lives? How could they have this this love for each other? It's because they had a hope for the future. Do you understand what I'm saying? They had a hope for the future. Now, I mean, think about it. If 
If your focus is now, and let's just be honest, we live in a very depressed area here, and it's real easy to get self-focused with the job situation, with all the stuff that's going on that happens in our lives, the doctor telling us something. This is the Christmas season, the season of pink slips. You know, and, and we can get so self-absorbed with now that we forget our hope later on that motivates us. Because, let's be honest, Jesus didn't promise us success and prosperity now. He gave us a hope that beyond this life and with the way life is, there's something else for us as believers, and that's eternity with Him. And it was because of that hope that they had in Christ that they expressed it in their testimony of faith, and they expressed it in their love for one another. Did you understand what I'm saying? Again, it's it's how we're focused. Where's our focus? Is our focus now, or is our focus outward and our hope in the future? Did you understand what I'm saying? It's all about our focus as believers. And he's thankful for them because they have that hope. And that was the source of their faith and love. And then here's what he's saying. This message of hope was, he's saying they presented this hope in the message of the gospel. Paul's talking about himself and his companions here. The reason why they had that hope is because they presented this hope to them. So let's talk about evangelism for a moment. Let's talk about sharing our faith. You know, the most common approach that we use today in sharing our faith is, if you were to die today, are you going to go to heaven? Okay, but the reality is most people aren't thinking about dying. One aspect that we see here is, is that what Paul's talking about is giving them a hope in the midst of what they're going through right now. Did you understand the hope of Jesus right now in their life? Right now. Did you know what I'm saying? And, and that's expressed in your life because they see it in your life. You are living in the midst of what you're going through and you're, go- and they're wondering, how, how are you going through that? You have a hope in the future. And then you share that hope with them. Do you understand what I'm saying? That hope that they can find Christ for the removal of shame, forgiveness now, strength to, for what they endure. Not a promise of taking away their stuff. We don't say to people, oh, if you get saved, everything's going to be wonderful. That is not true. But what we say is, is that we have a hope to hold on to, to guide us through whatever it is that we're going to go through. And we will go through it, right? We will go through it. So they represented this hope in the message of the gospel. Now, and he's saying this is the same message. So again, one of the accusations against Paul is that he's preaching a different gospel. Okay? So he's going to address that here. Look with me uh, in verse 6. Look at what he says there. Which has come to you as it has also in all the world. What's he talking about there? He's saying that the gospel message has come to them as it has in other parts of the world. So it's the same message. The same the message, the gospel that Paul's presenting is the same message for all. Faith in Christ. The hope we have in him. The hope of glory. So the gospel message is present among them now. What does he mean by that? Anybody have a clue? What do you think he means by that the gospel message is present among them now? Think about that for a moment. 
We could say the same thing here. The gospel message is present among us here now. What does that mean? Okay, Brad says the testimony of their lives, what Christ has done for them. Anybody want to add to that? What do you think he means? The gospel is present among them now. How many of you agree with Brad? How many of you don't know? How many didn't get enough coffee? Okay. Really, the gospel is present among them now because it's evidence in your life as a believer. When it talks about the gospel is present among them now, he's talking about the evidence of that salvation, of that new life, that changed life, that new mind in them right now. It's not talking about that people are standing up and proclaiming the message every Sunday when they gather together. He's talking about the evidence of the testimony of their faith, their love for one another. That's the gospel, folks. The gospel lived out in your lives. Did you understand what I'm saying? That So really a thought to reflect on. Does your life reflect what you believe? Did you understand what I'm saying? Does your life reflect what you believe? You say, well, I'm not perfect, George. Nobody's perfect. We're not talking about being perfect here. We're not talking about perfection here. Nobody's perfect. But the reality is, is do you live what you believe? Is the gospel evident in your life? Is the gospel evident in our church? All right. He's saying for them, the gospel message is present among them. I think this is interesting because he hasn't been there. He hasn't been to this church. So how does he know that? Anybody? What do you think? How does he know that? Yeah, the news has traveled. Hey, did you hear about that church? Do you know what I'm saying? Have you heard about that church? The news has traveled about who they are and what who they are as, a, as a, and that the gospel is evident among them. Now he's going to talk about another fellow here, Epaphras, who is a companion of Paul, who obviously goes and ministers with these folks. And he says this. Look at verse seven. He says, "And as you've also learned from Epaphras, our fellow." Dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So he obviously maybe was a, an elder or a pastor among this group, somebody that Paul knew. And here's what he said. Epaphras had reinforced this gospel message. So this is the point of all preaching. This is all point of all teaching. Is to reinforce in your life your faith in Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? To reinforce in your life your faith in Christ, the message of salvation, the gospel message in your life. Okay, he commands Epaphras as a fellow minister on Jesus' behalf. All right, so he commends him as a fellow minister. So he's going to, he's talking about Epaphras is like a co-companion in ministry with him. It's not a competition thing. They're in this together. And he's going to talk about what Epaphras did. Here's what he says. Epaphras has reported to Paul and his companions concerning their testimony. So the blabbermouth here concerning how they are as a church is Epaphras. He's the one that's going and saying, hey, this group of people that I'm ministering to, man, you would be blown away by them. They're an awesome group of people. You know, that's something for us to think about. When we have people come and visit us, what do they say? You know, we have visitors all the time. 
what do they say when they leave here? Oh, they were a really stifling group of people. You know, they kind of to themselves. Or do they say they were very friendly? Do you know what I'm saying? What, what, what is our testimony? What are others saying about us? Epaphras was saying about them, hey, this, Paul, you need to, let me tell you about their faith. Let me tell you about how it's expressed. Okay? Let me tell you about how it's expressed. Okay, let's get ready. Coffee's in the back, guys. We got, you know, next week we'll look a little bit further into his prayer and see some other things before he gets into the meat of his letter. Okay?